So John 15, starting in verse 12 to verse 17. My command is this. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in the name of the Father, whatever you ask in my name, I'm sorry, the Father will give you. Again, this is my command. Love one another. Uh, Heavenly Father, please... uh, Open up our our hearts and our minds to receive this word with wisdom and knowledge and joy. And um, please give Kenny the boldness and, and, um, yeah, the wisdom, Father, to to communicate your truth. Um, Let him know that the burden isn't on him to do it, but the blessing is is his in doing that. Christ's name we ask and pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, John. Let's give John a hand for reading the passage this morning. Morning, everybody. How are we doing? All right. So-so. Some are good. Uh, My name is Kenny. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met, we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, We are by no means uh, a perfect church. Um, You can probably tell that by the fact that I, I did the slides for the sermon today, and I failed to put the main sermon text up on the screen. So we are by no means a perfect church, but we do strive to always be an authentic group of people living out our faith throughout the week um, and living out our faith here on Sundays, gathering to worship God. So we're so glad that you're with us. Today we are resuming. I feel like I have a cord that is around me. Um, Today we are resuming a series on the Gospel of John that we uh, come to from time to time. We're just kind of taking each passage as it comes and going through the entire book. Um, and today, I'm excited about this passage, because I haven't heard that many sermons on this passage, and I haven't heard that many sermons about um, the friendship with Jesus that we as his followers are invited into. So my title for today is Friendship with Jesus, and I want to start by reading... Um, a few lines of a poem that was written um, around the year 1850 um, by uh, an Irish poet um, who was comforting his mother, who he found out. He was in Canada. She was in Ireland. She was very ill, and he found out that she was sick, and he wanted to send something to her to comfort her, and he penned these words, "'What a friend we have in Jesus.'" All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Anyone heard this before? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And uh, of course, later it became a song and a hymn that Millions of Christians around the world sing to remind, um, to remind us of the relationship, special relationship we have with Jesus. And, you know, the, the writer of that poem was no stranger to suffering. He didn't have an easy life. I read a little bit of his story that um, he had been engaged when he got out of college. And the night before their wedding, his fiance died. Um, and he didn't didn't marry, obviously, and then years later, he got engaged again, and his fiance caught pneumonia and died. <laughs> I don't know that he ever married, um, but I do know that he found comfort in his relationship with God. And we can see a little glimpse of it from that poem, but I want to start today just with the idea that Christianity makes a really audacious 
claim that kind of sounds outlandish to people who are um, not believers in Jesus. But that claim is that God is a loving, personal being. You know, we sing that song, I've heard a thousand stories of what they say you're like. Many don't know that God is a personal being. God is someone that we can get to know. Someone who has attributes. Someone who has revealed himself, but he's also revealed himself not as just a person, but as love. Can I get any amens? I'm thankful for God's love. That the God we know, 1 John 4 says, God is love. That perfect love comes from God. And as Christians, we see this love and this personality of God most brightly in Jesus. And in our text today, as John read it, Jesus is talking to his followers and he calls them friends. But... Many Christians, I would say today, don't have a daily experience of that reality in their lives. You know, we worship the Lord, we serve the Lord, we live for the Lord. But often we don't think in terms of friendship with the Lord. Anyone with me? All right. Making sure people are here. I know it's dark, but I can still see you. So. All right. But Jesus in this passage actually invites his followers into a relationship that he terms as friendship. And our passage today shows us actually how to grow in that friendship with Jesus. That God is not just some amorphous idea or concept. God's not the watchmaker who kind of put everything together and set it to spin and then he's hands off. No, Jesus has said, if you're going to be my follower, I'm calling you to be my friend. That you can be a friend of the God who made you. Who made everything you see. And in this world today, as broken and messed up and divided and hateful as this world is, what we need more now than ever is friendship with God. And people who understand that they have been called friends of God. And people who know how to show that friendship to other people. Amen? And so as we're looking at this passage today, not only does it show us that God wants to call us friends, but also it shows us that our friendship with God grows as we obey a certain command of Jesus to love each other. So imagine with me the scene, with you, uh, if you will. It's the last week of Jesus' life before um, he's going to be crucified. He's entered Jerusalem a few days ago. You're, you're one of the 12 disciples, so you're with him. He's entered Jerusalem a few, few days ago to people shouting his praises, so excited that he came into the city, right? And then he clashes, he goes to the temple and he clashes with the religious leaders. And they're plotting to kill him. And, and then um, a few days go by, and then you are with Jesus and you're going to celebrate the Passover together. And so we got this scene called the Lord's Supper. You're one of the 12 in the room and you're there with Jesus. And, and as he's talking to you and as you're about to have dinner, he stands up and kind of shocks everyone in the room and he, and he puts on a towel around and he grabs a bowl of water and he goes around and takes the position of a servant and he washes his own disciples' feet and he washes your feet. And then he says, you see, I, I'm your teacher you, should, and you see how I served you, you should go serve one another as well. So you see that happen. And then he's, he's talking about what life is going to be like when he's gone. And you may not fully understand it, but then he says, one of you is going to betray me. And then pretty soon after that, you see Judas get up and leave. <laughs> Out into the night, it says. But then Jesus continues to talk and he says, I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If anyone wants to come to the Father, you're going to come through me. And he, and he says, you know what? I'm going to be gone and you can't go where I'm coming, but I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to comfort and instruct you and, and guide you. And, and then 
Jesus says, let's go. And you start to walk with him through the city out towards the garden to pray. And then he's continuing to instruct you and says, his famous metaphor of I'm the vine, you're the branches. You've got to remain in me if you're going to bear fruit. And then the very next thing he says is our passage today, verse 12, John 15, 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Jesus does something different here and calls you a friend. I don't know if, um, at at the risk of being redundant, I I think we oftentimes, do do you think of yourself as a friend of Jesus? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes we have. I'm sure we've had experience of that. Maybe, Maybe not all the time, but I think sometimes we either kind of assume it and we don't think much of it or we don't even think about that Jesus called us friends. But I, I want you to know something that at this point in the story, no one had been called a friend of God except one person, Abraham, the father of the faith. Not Moses, who led the Israelites out of Egypt. Not David, who was the first king. Not Solomon, who was the greatest king they ever knew. Not Ruth, not Esther, not the prophets. Only one person had been called a friend, and now Jesus said, if you're my follower in this new covenant, you are my friends. Let that sink in a little bit, that God wants to call you friend. And if you've been reading through the Gospel of John, you see that there's these different ways that Jesus wants to relate to us. In in John 1, verse 11, I think I have the scripture here, but it, it talks about how we become children of God. It says this, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Everyone say children. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. That if you have received the Lord and believed on his name, the Bible says that That's when you become a child of God. That's something that happens instantly. And as a child, as a son or daughter of God, all the rights and privileges of being a child of God are imputed to you. And you can't lose them. It's amazing. And the whole book kind of unfolds and kind of shows us what does it mean to believe and receive him. And then Jesus moves on. And he talks about another way that we can relate to him. And one of that ways is servants, right? So we're sons and daughters. But then in chapter 13, like I said earlier, I think I have the verse here as well. I hope so. (laughs) Chapter 13, verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verse 16. Very truly, I tell you, No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So he calls us not only to be sons and daughters, but he calls us to be servants. And as Christians, that's one of the most amazing privileges we could get because we're not serving a cruel master. We're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords whose will is for our good and for his glory. And when he sends us to serve, we can trust that it's going to be amazing as he redeems all the ways we get to serve in his kingdom. But even deeper than that, when we get to John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. You see, you can be a son and a daughter, and when that happens, that's instantly. And the rights and privileges of being a son and a daughter can't be taken away from you, but a friendship doesn't happen instantly. A friendship takes time. A friendship is a relationship that develops and deepens and strengthens as as you go through time and you go through shared experiences and as you go through communication. You go through 
the good times together and you go through the bad times together. Jesus has called us to be friends. And you want to have a best friend? Yeah? Isn't that like awesome? <laughs> Your best friend, you can finish each other's sentences. Or sandwiches. <laughs> Sam oh, really? I was going to say dinner. I'm not, I'm not caught up on the sandwiches. That's right. You can finish each other's sentences or sandwiches. And we're friends because they finished my sentence. Uh, I, have a, I have a friend. I have, I've been so blessed with many good friends. And um, I have a friend in Arkansas that I was the second person I met in kindergarten. And we became guess, best friends. And I remember one time... I think we, anyone know what freestyling is? <laughs> I, I have a past in freestyling. Um, and uh, I remember a road trip one time with my friend and I, and for an hour we freestyled without dropping it, just back and forth. And um, that's ridiculous. I've never done that with anyone else. But those are the kinds of silly things that you can do with friends. And yeah, on the other side, friends are the ones that are there when you get that call that you didn't want to get and you weren't expecting. And a friend is the one who offers a shoulder for you to cry on. The best marriages, the ones that last to, till death do us part, are the ones where the husband and wife become friends. Do you know that God has invited you into friendship? Do you know that that friendship he's invited you into is better than the friendship with your best friend. Better than the friendship with your spouse. That, that God has said that he's closer than the mention of his name. That no matter what you go through during the day or during the night or at 4 a.m. when you wake up in a cold sweat, God is with you. Proverbs 18, 24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. God wants to be that friend to you who sticks closer than a brother. I have a quote here from Oswald Chambers. He says, The most important aspect of Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain with God. And surrounding influence and qualities produced by that relationship. That is all God asks us to give our attention to. And it is the one thing that is continually under attack. It's the conviction of the Spirit. No, she's just doing what babies do. That's fine. That's The enemy would love nothing more than to convince you that God does not want friendship with you. Even you who are here who are believers, the enemy would want nothing more than to just you to just keep your head down and not think that God's invited you into a deep relationship. That yes, he wants you to be his son, his daughter. Yes, he wants you to be his servant, but he also wants you to be his friend. So Jesus invites us into friendship, but he not only just invites us into friendship and he doesn't make it just be this ethereal thing where, well, we don't know. I mean, I guess I feel like friends today, so I'm friends, you know. And the next day, like, oh, I don't feel like friends at all. Right? But no, he actually shows us how as we continue to look at this passage. Because Jesus links this new relationship that basically no one in the family of faith has been called into before. And now we all are. He links this new relationship of friendship to a command. You, you probably heard it in verse 14 in the middle of that. It kind of sticks out kind of like a sore thumb. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command. You ever tried that with your friends? 
<laughs> Ever try that with your spouse? <laughs> no, no. I heard someone just say no. No, I have not. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now that sounds a little bit different, right? That doesn't sound like my friendships. Um, and that's okay, because normally when we're in friendships, we're, we're in friendships with human beings, with full equals, right? But when we're talking about friendship with God, we're not, it's not exactly full equals, right? It's not actually not even nearly close to full equals, because we're not equal with God. And love and obedience is always part of proper relationship to a good God and to God's commands, because He is love, and what He commands is good by nature. And so as humans, we're always called to obey His commands, all of them, whatever He's called His people to do. And still, that sentence sounds a little funny. You're my friends if you do what I command. And, and I think one of the questions when we hear that is, is, is this a friendship that we earn? Is this a... a a pay-to-play friendship? Like, you put in the time, and then you can be my friend. Make sure you cross the T's, dot the I's, and then we can be friends. And I want to tell you today that that's not what Jesus is saying. Yes, we're always to love and obey Jesus. But I have a quote here from D.A. Carson This obedience is not what makes them his friends. It's what characterizes their friendship. We're not saved by good works. We don't get good to get God. That's not the gospel. No, but we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. And James says that if you have faith, but you don't have works, then your faith is dead and not any good. (laughs) Right, So it's not that we obey him to become friends with him. No, that friendship is only something that can be bestowed on us by him. But it is that when we are his friends, we are in line with his heart and we are obeying his commands. Amen? Amen. But Jesus makes it even a little bit clearer for us. And I remember a few months ago as I was reading this passage, it just kind of stood out to me. But what is that command? Well, Our passage, he begins it and ends with it. And then in the middle, he says, you're my friends if you do what I command. But verse 12, he says this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And then if we didn't get it in verse 17, at the end of the passage, he says this. This is my command. Love each other. Yes, all the commands of God we are to obey. But in this particular passage, Jesus is tying our friendship with God to a particular command in the way that we love our brothers and sisters. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other. You see, the Bible always links our relationship with God to our relationship with others. Do you know that? What are the two greatest commandments? Love God with all your... Okay, B minus. Thank you. <laughs> B minus, all right. That's a, that's a big one. We should know that one. Uh, I'm just teasing, sorry. But that, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and the second one that Jesus said is love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, all the law and prophets, basically all the scriptures hang on these two commands. And this is Jesus' way of reiterating this same thing. But I want to just say for a second that this is one of the most important things that as a church we can talk about today or any day, really. Because if you miss this, you miss the very heart of God. And you miss the heart of God for his people. Because you cannot love God and hate your brother or sister. And what Jesus has said is, if you, you're going to be my friends if you do what I command. And here's what I command. Love each other as I have loved you. 1 John 4.19 says this. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister 
is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Can I get an amen? Amen. Loving others sounds easy until the rubber meets the road. Can I get an amen just as strong? It sounds easy. Oh, yeah, I love everyone. Yeah, I love everyone. Reminds me of a, a Christmas as a kid. Um, I think we got snowed in, and so we're all in the home. I'm probably like eight years old or something, and my grandmother would always have this, around Christmas time, this peppermint taffy with a, with a Christmas tree in the middle of it. Anyone ever had that? All right, well, there was a bowl of it, and in that bowl of it was in my stomach because I just ate it all, right? I just loved, oh man, I loved candy, and I was already a hyper kid anyways. But it's, it's Christmas, I got a stomach full of candy, feeling the love, and uh, I just remember just this, this rush of love came over me, and I ran through the house saying, I love everyone. I love my family. I love the whole world. I love everyone, right? So this love was just overflowing out of my heart. Um, And it turns out it was just a sugar rush. (laughs) Because, you know, all it takes is an argument or two with my brother and uh, a few more life experiences to realize, turns out I don't love everyone. (laughs) I don't love the whole world. I have trouble loving some of the people that I see every week, Right? Do I love everyone or not? See, loving everyone sounds easy. If love was just a feeling, then we'd be set. But love is an action. Love is more than a feeling. And love takes sacrifice. Anyone hearing me? Sorry as I struggle with my microphone. The relationship of Christians, brothers and sisters, is to be marked by love. Jesus, I like that amen right there. (laughs) Jesus in John 13 says this, a new command I give you, love one another. This is part of the same conversation that we're reading about. He says this at the beginning. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how all people will know whose we are, are, how well we are doing at loving each other. Did everyone catch that? The way the world will know that Jesus has loved us is how we love each other as people in the family of God. And when we bring it down to there, I want to say, how's our report card? How's our report card as a Christian? How's our report card as a church? How's our report card as the church? Brothers and sisters are not just the people we like. I mean, we know that from our earthly brothers and sisters. Can you get an amen? (laughs) Brothers and sisters are not just the people we like. They're not just the people we get along with. They're not just the people who, like Tim Kaine preached in December, can pay us back. Brothers and sisters often are the people we disagree with. Brothers and sisters often are the people who just kind of rub us the wrong way. Brothers and sisters are often people who have differing political views than us. Brothers and sisters, thankfully, are often people from different cultures and ethnicities. With all the words that are echoing from this week that our president said, I want to say something right now, that the view of heaven and revelation is every tribe, every nation, every people, and every tongue worshiping our God together. And if the world is going to see that in anyone, they need to see it in the church and from Christians holding up that vision of heaven. Not one that denounces and degrades tribes, nations, tongues, or people. Off the soapbox. Again. 
Brothers and sisters are often the people who sometimes hurt you. A lot of times we feel like brothers and sisters till that first conflict comes in. And then we have a choice. Are they really my brother and sister? Or can I just brush it off and move on? Brothers and sisters sometimes are the person who lies to you. Sometimes the person who lies about you. What unites the body of Christ is not our affinity to one another. It's not how agreeable we are. Sometimes we're not agreeable. What unites the body of Christ is Christ. He's the one who makes us a body. And we don't get to choose what parts of the body we don't like. I think I borrowed from your sermon last week right there. (laughs) What unites the body of Christ is Christ. What unites the family of God is that God has made us family. These are the real life situations we are called to love brothers and sisters, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. And especially when it's hard. Because Jesus says, this is the way that the world will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. How do we make the hard choice to love our brothers and sisters when we disagree with them? When they've wronged us? What does that love look like? Here's the measure of it, and it's in our passage too, because Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life. For one's friends. The measure is laying down your life. The way we are to love brothers and sisters, whether it's in this church or whether it's Christian brothers and sisters that are not a part of our church, is to lay down your life to love them. It's a costly love. 1 John 3.16 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Laying down your life for those who have different political views than you doesn't mean you don't stand up for the truth, doesn't mean you don't make a good case, but it might mean that you don't just instantly defriend them on Facebook. It might be that you don't write them out of your life because they see it differently than you because you're called to be their brother or sister. You're not called to just be brothers and sisters with the people who it's easy with. Particularly, Jesus knows this. He knows that it's hard. That's why the metaphor the Bible gives us is laying down your life for your brothers and sisters. Laying down your life when someone has legitimately hurt you. Laying down your life when someone has wronged you. It doesn't mean you're not standing up for what is right. It doesn't mean you don't seek justice and reconciliation. Laying down your life when someone is inconveniencing you. This is the laying down your life. It's the kind of love that bridges the racial divides. This is the kind of love that brings together different sides of the aisle. It's the kind of love that chooses to forgive on the other side of real hurt. It's the kind of love that sees others' needs as as important as our own. This is the kind of love that drives out fear. And Jesus links friendship with him with our command to love each other. Not just because the world needs this love, but because this is the kind of love that the world needs most right now. This is the kind of love that the people on your job need to see on display. Not the stuff that just makes sense. Oh yeah, you're nice to the people that are nice to you and you're mean or you cut off the people who don't. That makes sense but not if we're following Jesus. What makes sense if we're following Jesus is he laid down his life for me and I will lay down my life to love you.
All right, it's getting quiet. What's this link between the command that we have to love each other? So we know, we know that he's called us into friendship, and we know that he's given us this command, and this is how it looks. But what's the link there? The link is this. You're never going to grow closer in your life to Jesus than when you're laying down your life to love others. Because it's when you're in those situations, when you've been hurt or you've been wronged or where it's inconvenienced or whatever it is, that when you are laying your life down, you are drawing close in friendship to Jesus. Because you're loving beyond yourself and you need his love to fill you to do it. Does that make sense? God, I can't do this on my own. God, I can't deal with him on my own, but with you, I can. And as we do that, as we lay our lives down, Jesus said in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Your friendship your communion with God gets sweeter and stronger. There's more shared experience when you're in those situations where you're laying your life down to love a brother or sister because you're beginning to love like Jesus loves. It's at that point Edward Klink says, the love of God for Christians becomes the love of God between Christians. That's, it, all of a sudden, it begins to make sense that verses 1 through 11 in this chapter were about a vine and branches, about remaining connected to the vine, and then we will bear much fruit because he's the vine, we're the branches, and when we're connected to him, we'll bear fruit. All of a sudden, that makes sense because it's like, the love that God shows us, we're starting to experience it in all these ways in our relationships with each other. Amen? And that's when you see that this command, you are my friends if you do what I command, actually serves as an invitation to intimacy with God. Because you're beginning to love like He loves. Our friendship with God grows as we obey Jesus' command to love each other. Amen? I think of the love and I think of the friendship that God has called us into. I think of the people in my life that had modeled that friendship with God and that, that sense of no matter what I go through, God is with me. That I don't have to be overwhelmed when I get overwhelmed, and I do get overwhelmed because I can call out to God and He's with me. And He's never overwhelmed. I think of the love, the friendship that Jesus has called you to and called me to. And then I look at the daily experiences I have, <laughs> and uh, there's a gap. <laughs> Anyone else want to admit that with me? <laughs> there's a gap. <laughs> and I look at the world. I look at the strife and the division and the hatred, just a part of our daily experience as living on this planet. And all of that sin is coming from a result down at the root of those commands to love God and love others. It's the refusal to do those in one way or another that all of that that we're seeing is just this downward spiral of when we don't love God fully and we don't love our neighbors ourselves, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And the only thing that changes the direction of that is when we make a choice to love God or when we lay down our lives for someone else and then all of a sudden it flows in the opposite way. But I don't know about you. Um, if I'm honest, I'm not always part of the solution. I'm a little bit more part of the problem than I want to admit sometimes. I think, okay, this is great. All I got to do is love 
<laughs> love my brothers and sisters like Jesus says, love me, and then I'll experience this great friendship. Well, I don't always love my brothers and sisters like Jesus loved me. No one can relate? Mm. Okay, you don't look at me like I'm crazy. No, I know that we all can relate. But I think in that angst and saying, well, if that's the way we fix it, then how are we ever going to do that? How are we ever going to turn the spiral around the other way? That it's not going to happen until you really take to heart and you really look at it that 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 is what has been done for you. It all hinges on what Jesus said when he said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Because see, he said it to them, but then he went and did it. He didn't just say, this is how you measure what love is between each other, to lay down your life, right? He laid down his life. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. And Jesus did this for you, not just for friends, not just for people he liked and got along with easily or people who are like him, but the Bible says he did this for us while we were enemies. That he laid down his life for enemies. Romans 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Verse 10, for if... While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, Christ laid down his life for you. Not when you were a friend, but when you were an enemy. So that you could be his friend. Christ laid down his life for me when I was an enemy so that I could be his friend. Thank God that he didn't just die for those who were fully like him and obeyed him perfectly. <laughs> that he died for sinners. That he died for enemies so that he could make us friends. See, we're never going to Lay down our life for those who seem like your enemies until you realize that's exactly what Christ did for you. Except that we were actual enemies. And when we receive that, that he loved me as an enemy to make me a friend, then I can look at the people who seem like enemies and I can think, how can I lay my life down to love them? That's when the spiral goes upward in your life. That's when you're beginning to see how loved you are and you can't help but extend that to other people when the situations come up because they will. Sometimes you'll feel it and you'll be like me running around, I love everyone, right? <laughs> but then what about when real life hits and you have the choice to, uh, do I still love everyone or can I do without one? <laughs> love everyone minus them, right? No, no. If Jesus loved me when I was an enemy and he died for his enemies to make me a friend, then I can lay down my life for this, for this brother or sister who seems like an enemy, but God's called me to love them. And I'm closing soon in the next few minutes. When we grasp that love, that's when... We begin to experience the friendship that Jesus has called us into. I just want to encourage you, if you're hearing this and maybe you're already encouraged and that's good. Maybe you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit. That's good too. But I want to encourage you with a few of the words that Jesus said to, to his followers, even in that moment. When he called them friends and 
said in verse 16, said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. If you're here and you feel convicted, maybe you're thinking of all the ways, maybe there's one way right now where you're not loving a brother and sister, and they're in this room. Maybe it's not that specific. Maybe it's someone in your life. And you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit to love them as Christ has loved you. I want to encourage you not just to feel the heaviness, but also feel the blessing. That even that you feel that conviction is evidence that the Lord is choosing you and appointing you to bear fruit. To follow Him, to repent, to turn towards Him. You know, one of the reasons we have gospel communities on mission in this church is because they're ripe with opportunities to love brothers and sisters. Not to just be gathered around a, a shared interest, but to be gathered around the body of Christ. In real life, so that when real life experiences come up, we can be like, oh, this is where we get to practice loving one another and we get to experience friendship with God. Because that's when we experience it. First John 4, you can't claim to love God and not love your brother or sister. You can't claim to love God who you haven't seen when you don't love the people you see every day. But if you're feeling that conviction, would you also hear that encouragement that, that Jesus, even though you were an enemy, he chose you. He appointed you. He wants to pour into your life to bear fruit. And when you repent and turn to him, he will remind you of that love on the cross. Amen? Maybe there's an opportunity in your gospel community. Maybe there's a personal opportunity that you're going through. Maybe there's an opportunity within this church to lay down your life in love for someone. Maybe you could take a moment here at the end of this message to think about Tomorrow morning, wherever you're going to be, whether it's at home or whether it's at school or whether it's on your job, what would it look like in t- tomorrow morning to receive that love that he's given you and see the spiral turn the other way? Amen? I want to end just by singing a few verses of that song that I mentioned at the beginning. And if you know it, you can sing with me. What a friend we have in Jesus All our sins and griefs to bear What a privilege to carry Everything to God in prayer Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not care. Everything to God in prayer. Next part says, have we trials? Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. to the Lord. friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share 
Jesus knows our every says, are we weak? Are we weak and heavy? Covered with a load of care. Precious Savior, steal our friends despise do thy friends despise forsake thee take it to the Lord in prayer in his arms he'll take and pray. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had together as a church. Thank you for everyone that's here, whether they're a believer in your son Jesus or whether they have not yet come to faith in you. God, I pray that your word would have its effect on us today. God, I pray that having heard your word, we would not reject it or turn away from it or make excuses for what you command us to do. But Lord, help us to receive the blessing that comes with repenting and obeying. God, help us to be people marked by love. Not a superficial love, but a real love. A love that comes from you. A love that comes from knowing that though we were your enemies, you died for us. And so we can lay down our lives for those who are even our enemies, God. We are called to love the whole world, but how will we do with that if we can't even love our brothers and sisters? God, make us people who are marked, who are changed, who are shaped, who are formed in the shape of your love, in the shape of a cross in which you gave your life and with the hope of resurrection in which you took it back up again to give us promise and to give us power, and to give us a hope that when it's hard, that it will not always be this way, and that you are coming in victory, and that it is worth it to love people. Not only is it your will, it's good for us. It's good for them. It's not just the right thing to do, it's the best thing to do. And it's exactly what our world and our city needs for us to be marked by your love. So we pray for that in the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone said, amen, amen.